Hello, and welcome to Two Stories, a soothing salve of story on the horrific welt of lie. My name is Dr. Matthew Oxley, and I'm here with my scorched sidekick, Jack. Hey, what are you doing? That's my bit. I say the words at the start. And stop it with that doctor bollocks here. They might believe you. I have a legal right. I studied bloody hard. A correspondence course in dog psychology doesn't put you in the same bracket as these key workers. It exactly does. When you were out banging pots and pans on Thursday night, a tiny percentage of that was for me. No, it wasn't. It specifically wasn't. It was. I recorded it. I want it back. Cool those jets, ducky. You're going to further damage that little pigeon chest of yours, not to mention what's left of your dignity. You just concentrate on filling out that form and getting better. This week was meant to be our end of season... Series. End of series dinner party with everyone who's helped us make this podcast thus far. This far. <sighs> but instead of sitting down to nose bags full of hot, fresh masuka... Masaka. We're here at the Accident and Emergency Waiting Room of Northern General Hospital. I actually prefer it when you say hospital. I don't say hospital. You do? You say things like hospital and packet of crisp and 9-11 was an inside job. Can you help me with this form? My elbow keeps touching my wound. Course, little leg, and it here. This week, as Matthew said, we're in A and E. Because this little ball of mischief has hurt his tum tum. I've got a significant third or fourth degree burn on my abdomen. Okay, let's have a look at this form here. Name, easy, Jack Barton. Well, actually, it's Jack Simba Barton on forms. What? Yeah, my mum likes lions. Okay, Simba Barton. Moving on. Age, another open goal. Or are you one of those cavemen that never died and was probably Napoleon? Well, you're half right. I don't actually know my age. My birth certificate was lost in a mysterious fire when I was a baby. But surely your mum knows when you were hatched. Oh, yeah. That was the year of our Lord, 1991. So you're 31. Oh, wow. I didn't know you could just work it out like that. Is that some kind of app or something you've got? So 31. Next question. Describe the nature of your ailment. Okay, so... Well, it was a cool and crisp autumnal evening. The sky lit orange as the dying embers of the day flickered into the ashes of the night. I returned with my quarry, taking off my brogues and putting on my culinary crop top. I begin heating my extra virgin for my eggplant. Aubergines. For my aubergines. I unsheathed my blade. Sorry, mate. Can I please speak? I'm barely holding it together here, mate. I cannot and I will not be rushed to the secrets of my moussaka. Moussaka? No, it genuinely is moussaka. Fine. No, it's just that the box is about as big as a bucky's barrow. You've got about nine words. You're going to need to edit a little. All right, okay. Um, Vast and impressive oil burn up and down carapace. Yep, lovely stuff. That's all filled in, then. Next step, you just need to take it to the chap at the desk. Can you do it? Who are my Hermes? Well, if I thought you were Hermes, I wouldn't expect it to get there. Go on, Mouse. Take your purpose to the man. Legally, I think you have to do it anyway. It's like opening other people's post. Is that not allowed? In that case, I've got a lot of books about scalp health I need to give back to you. Go on, piss off, you big blister. What, hell, Bean? How goes it? Oh, hello. Are you talking to me? 
dear old thing. Of course I am. We're the only chaps here, aren't we? No, there's people everywhere. Well, I've never been one for the details. Anyway, how's your evening unravelling? Is that a martini? That's quite an eye you've got. Here, it's yours. No, I'm all right, thank you. I don't think you can drink it here. Where did you even get it from? From home, old bean. The drinks here are the pits. Anyway, what brings a chap like you to a place like this? Well, I was preparing for a delightful dinner party when that pill tipped hot oil all over his top half. Uh, uh, oh, I nearly didn't make it. I've had to open my shirt another button. Come on, you sloppy shit. Sit down. Jack, this is... Oh, sorry, I didn't get your name, actually. Uh, Captain Huckabee St James, 34th Squadron. How would you do? Oh, charmed. But while you two were giggling like a pair of toddlers around a turd in a paddling pool, I've been slipping through the cracks in the system. What did they say? Idiot. Complete idiot. He said, because I'm not an emergency, we might have to be waiting here for some time. He gave me this. What is it? It's one of those buzzers you get when you go to a takeaway. Let's have a look. What's that on the back? It says, patient severity. Goo goo gag gag, cut the crust off my sandwiches. It's a stupid place. Why don't I read a bit of a story? Help pass the time, you know. Cigarette. Rodney Schlupp was dying on his last legs at the tender age of 32. A crippling tumour blighted him. A technological mastermind, Rodney had created some of the world's finest virtual reality games in which the player could experience partaking in everyday jobs. His first release, Hotel Lobby Doorman, was an instant hit, but he didn't stop there. Rodney went on to produce other award-winning games such as Postman's Promise, delivering mail up and down the country. Not to forget his much-revered masterpiece, Dentist Receptionist 3, in which the main character was tasked with transferring a dental practice's historical paperwork onto a digital database. Being a wealthy man, Rodney decided to put his fortune to use and ploughed hundreds of thousands into trial drugs to treat his illness. The latest course of treatment came from a Finnish laboratory. While sleeping, he was instructed to play recordings of Anne Robinson through a speaker directly at the tumour. In theory, her harsh tone would scare the disease and eventually break it down. After four months of treatment, still, the doctor confirmed the worse. It's time to sort your affairs, Rodney. You've two weeks left. Deflated, Rodney made his peace. He met his brother at his favourite coffee shop, The Hot Sip. Since his illness, he'd visited pretty much every day. Rodney stared gloomily at the brown cuppa, occasionally making glances at the barista. His brother was quick to notice this. Look, Rodney, you've clearly got a crush on that barista. Just ask her on a date, see what happens. If you're going to die, you've got nothing to lose. Rodney followed his brother's advice, and a whirlwind romance ensued. Rodney and barista girl went on all sorts of dates. On a rainy Tuesday, they visited a pencil museum, and Rodney made her laugh by asking the man at the gift shop if they sold any pens. They visited a zoo together, and Rodney tried to appear intelligent and knowledgeable. He told Barista Girl that moose only have large antlers to dry their washing whilst on the move. She pretended to believe him and grew fond of his attempts to woo her. Almost ten days passed, and Rodney knew that the romance was doomed and a sense of guilt grew like a blister on a novice ice skater's heel. That night, Rodney returned to the hospital to continue his treatment. 
Perhaps it would buy him an extra week, suggested the doctor. Pressing the speaker against the tumour, the Anne Robinson recording began, laughing at a contestant who didn't know whether a £5 note could be wrapped all the way around a can of Coke. Rodney stared up at the ceiling, alone with only three nights remaining on this earth. But then, the faint sound of footsteps took his attention. The volume picked up as the visitor approached. At the frosted glass, a silhouette appeared. The door handle twisted and slowly crept open. Hello, Rodney. My name is Stanley Del Fortuna. Do I know you? Wait, are you the bloke from the supermarket who kept taking stuff from my trolley when I wasn't looking? No, no, I'm afraid that wasn't me. Although he sounds like a bit of a twat. Yeah, he is, replied Rodney. Well, you see, Rodney, I'm actually from another hospital. I know this is a little confusing. Let me explain. I run a hospital that is run exclusively for patients who have reached the end of the line. We have people embedded in hospitals just like this one who monitor patients who have beefy wads of cash. Patients like you, Rodney. Surprised, Rodney asked questions. Well, what is it you can offer me? He told Rodney that for a large fee and his discretion that he could transfer to the Let's Have It hospice. There would be only two conditions. The location of the hospice would never be shared and he would never be able to leave. But the perks would be unimaginable. Stanley Del Fortuna promised Rodney that he could request anything he desired whilst he stayed there. Rodney leapt at the opportunity. Stanley Del Fortuna explained that his death would be staged at this current hospital and he would be whisked away immediately. But Rodney queried, what would happen if his family requested an open casket funeral? And Stanley reassured him by explaining that they have a decent makeup guy on board. Actually, the guy had constructed almost all of the disguises for undercover boss Australia. With that knowledge, he agreed and Rodney immediately put the limits of what he could ask for to the test. He drove an 18-wheel lorry into a knackered wooden barn, ate a burger that had a pate replaced with carbonara, he bathed in a jacuzzi filled with his favourite mixed berry-flavoured Lucasade, and inspired by Mike Tyson, he even got himself a pet lion that he named Fantaboy on the account of his golden fur. But something was off. Rodney was feeling strong, powerful even. He certainly didn't feel like a dying man. His check with the doctor confirmed the worst and the best news ever. The experimental Anne Robinson treatment had worked. Rodney was recovering and his tumour was shrinking. At that moment, Stanley Fortuna appeared at the clinic, reminding him that he would not be allowed to leave as per one of their two non-negotiable rules at the hospice. Rodney's mind focused very suddenly on the life he could have, the life with the barista girl that he had given up for a greedy lacerar. That night he plotted and schemed, he wouldn't die in this place, even if it did mean giving up Fantaboy. And that's when his genius struck. At 3am Rodney opened his bedroom door with a large tin of corned beef in his hand. Fantaboy followed obediently. Approaching the reception desk, he hurled chunks of corned beef at the staff behind the desk and mayhem ensued. Whilst Fantaboy chewed and gnawed on both the beef and the staff, Rodney performed a somersault over the reception desk and grabbed a keycard from a very bitten, chewed member of the reception staff. The elevator seemed to rise for hours, and before long, Stanley found himself in a lobby with huge glass doors. He sprinted for the exit, sirens and alarms now sounding around him. Through the doors, he found himself in a city centre. The building behind him looked disused and forgotten, surrounded again by similar buildings. The hospice had been hidden in plain sight beneath a disused factory of some sort. 
Before long, the sirens faded and Stanley found himself in a busy high street. His next decision seemed easy and obvious. Rodney flagged down a taxi and commanded the driver to take him to the Hot Sip coffee shop. Hurtling out of the taxi, his heart pounded with joy. Rodney stumbled through the coffee shop doors and spotted a barista girl instantly. She was leaning over the counter towards a customer. Perhaps she couldn't hear his order, but then a kiss. Who the fuck is that, he thought. I've only been gone for three days. Rodney recognised him immediately. The kisser man was indeed his brother. Mr Barton? Mr Barton? Oh, that's me. Uh, Matt, do you want to come with me? I certainly do not. And hurry up, I only put half an hour on the meter. Remarkable story, quite splendid. Thank you very much. Sorry, I, I didn't even introduce myself, did I? I'm Dr Matthew Oxley. Doctor, is it? Maybe you could take a peek at what ails me, and I can get back to my cocktail soiree. I mean, I could take a look. What seems to be the problem, Captain? Ah, oh, my dear old thing, it's very kind of you. It's, it's nothing really. I had a wee nick in the jambon while flying my javelin over the old enemy a moon or two ago, and the old blight has started to give me a little bit of chip. Sorry, I didn't get a word of that, mate. Why don't I just show you? Just a little scratch. Look. Mr. Barton? Yes, that, that's me. Come in. You could pop your trousers and pants off and sit on the bed there for me. So, what seems to be the problem? Oh, um, okay. Well, I was preparing for our end of season... Series. Our end of series dinner party. I, I started frying some eggplant. Aubergines. Started frying some aubergines, and, and while taking our first steps on the journey to my famous moussaka, I managed to tip all the hot oil onto my, um, thorax. Sorry, uh... Do you mind if I put my trousers back on? All in good time, Mr. Barton. Leave it to the professional. Can I inspect the area? Sure. Do you want me to come to you? If you don't mind, Mr. Barton, I really don't want to stand today. Let's have a look at your... Ouchie. Oh, yes. That is quite raw, isn't it? Hmm... Do you really need to prod quite so much? I think it's important, yes. Can I move your medallion? I think it might have fused. I'll give it a go. Ah! Please put it away. Please, please, please. Come on, old bean. It's, it's only just come out. A bit of fresh air will do it good. You must know that. You're a man of science. Oh, Lord, it's awful. What's smeared all around it? I've been rubbing dirt into it on a daily basis to help the healing. Oh, looks like it's got a black eye. Dirt? Are you drunk? Well, yes, but I've rubbed it during my more lucid periods as well. Come on, old chap, we've not all spent the best years of our lives buried in books. Please put your trousers back on. I could smell it. Fair play, old sport. Up come the old britches. 
let's not talk about communism, Ethel. It's pie in the sky. I'm not a bleeding communist, Frank. I make one comment over tea and you think I've caught something. Communism is the flower of idleness, Ethel. Frank, stop it. All I said was that social progress can only be measured by the social position of the female sex. Oh, for God's sake, Ethel. Pardon me, I couldn't help but overhear the political debate you were having. Oh, brilliant. Look what you've done now, getting this fop involved. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Captain Huckabee St James, 34th Squadron, and this is my new friend, the good Dr Ox. Uh, hello? Maybe the young doc here could help you with your dreadful affliction. She's caught bloody communism, hanging around with those hippies down at the social club. I haven't caught communism. It's not a disease. I'm terribly sorry, but I'll have to disagree with that. All I'm saying is, if the labourer were in possession of his own means of production and was satisfied to live as a labourer, they need not work beyond the time necessary for the reproduction of their means of subsistence. Communist! Please help her, Doctor. There must be something you can do. Hmm. Well... I have had a similar case as previously. In that case, I was able to calm the patient by firmly grabbing the snout and blowing gently onto the nose. Mm, that sounds promising. I'll give it a go. No, you won't. Ethel, you said you would come and see what the doctor has to say. OK, then. Just once and quickly. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Workers of all lands, unite! It's working. Great work, Doctor. Let's leave them to it. My work is done here. Property is theft! Oh, Mr Barton, do chill out. I didn't hurt you. You did? Don't you remember your oath? Do no harm, right? Well, that's up the wall. Come out of that corner so I can get this cream on you. No! That's a doctor's order. I have jurisdiction here. That's not a thing. Are you resisting? Yes, I'm resisting your ointment. Backup required. Backup required. We've got a 508 resisting ointment in room 12. Okay, okay. You can rub the cream on me. Cancel that backup. Cancel that backup. Over. Right. Come and sit on my knee. I need to slob this on you. Alright, but just be gentle, alright? I will be professional. That's all I can promise. Oh, it's cold. Oh. Give over. Oh. It doesn't oh. hurt. It's quite nice, actually. You've got very soft hands. Can I put my trousers back on yet? Oh, once we're done, you can. It's going to take a bit to coat your great bulk in this gunk. Should I read my story? You can do what you want. I'm going to pop a podcast on. Patients all went on strike, every single one of them. They were fed up of being poked and prodded, 
stuck with needles and ran through tests. We don't need doctors. This is a post-experts age, they shouted. It all started with an escaped balloon of a man, Tub Hamby, a nasty little bloated rodent who was once told to suck it up and get on with it when he called an ambulance to come and look at his cold and never forgave them for it. He captured the imagination of the nation, spouting his shit on every radio station and mid-morning TV show that would have him. People wanted to believe him because they were poorly and they didn't want to be poorly. And when a pink-faced Peter tells Phil and Holly that no one's really poorly, that just sounds quite good. The real problem came when people started to get better. The first week or so of the strike, everyone started to feel a bit less peaky. People started to believe we didn't need medicine at all. That all the doctors and nurses and boffins of all sorts were all part of a massive conspiracy. Right back to that Greek fella, Hippocrates. Hypocrisy? Coincidence? I don't think so. All medical people were struggling. Queues of men and women in white coats and those upside down watchers could be seen lining the streets around job centres. Doctors would break into local radio stations demanding to be heard. Phil and Holly had a lady on who'd been in medicine for 40 years and actually sneezed in her face. The fact was, most people were actually feeling a bit rough, but no one wanted to say anything. No one wanted to piss on the buzz and excitement of the week before. Anyone caught coughing would be sneered at. Any cuts or bruises would have to be covered up. Anyone oozing pus would be accused of being a doctor lover. Gangs of hunched, wheezing men, women and children would hobble around the streets, smashing pharmacy windows and graffitiing those little defib boxes. But almost as quickly as it started, it all came crashing down. More and more people were having to admit to being sick. The poorly started to outnumber the healthy. The real catalyst came exactly one calendar week from the start of the strike. A documentary team walked in on Tub Hamby having his prostate examined in a back alley, ironically. The image of the darling boy of this movement, trouserless and prostrate on a grip box, being enthusiastically examined by a white jacketed former GP, was posted everywhere. From social media to newsagents' windows, every eyeball across the nation saw that picture. And it was enough to make you sick. So sick, you ran to your nearest A&E as fast as your little legs could take you. The doctors and nurses welcomed everyone back with open arms, injecting, prescribing and cutting bits off with glee. The Prime Minister declared November 2nd National Health Worker Day and promised to double everyone's pay. A few weeks later, this promise was rolled back on to just below inflation, but Phil and Holly didn't mention it, so no one noticed. Tub Hamby went on to have a moderately successful career as a YouTuber after generating a small but incredibly loyal fan base from when he was on that grip box. So, what did you think of that then? Sorry, what? 
You really weren't listening? No, I'm listening to cereal. Seasonal. Seasonal, yeah. Anyway, that's you covered. Let that soak in for a few minutes. When it's formed a crust, you're good to go. That's it? Yeah. Should heal up nicely. Don't you need to tell me something? Regarding? Have I not been brave? Get out! You've got a real crowd gathering here, old boy. It's like, it's like Beatlemania. Next! Um, Doctor, thanks for seeing me. Um, it's my prescription I've got for my glands. I just can't take them. Can I see your prescription? <gasps> yeah, I've got them here. Christ. Okay, let's have a look. I know exactly what you need. You say you can't take these pills, but could you manage this piece of ham? Of course I could. That looks delicious. Thanks, Doc. You're a good boy, lovely coat. Next! Hi, Doctor. It's my rashes. I just can't stop scratching them. Have you tried not scratching them? Yes, that was the first bloody thing I tried. Hmm. Difficult case. I know, Huckabee. Grab me that lampshade, will you? Yes, Doctor. Right, let me just place this on your head, like this. There you go. I don't see what this is doing. Next! Matt, I'm alive. Only just, but I'm alive. Where are your trousers? And why are you covering so much cream? Oh, must have left them in with the dot. Why are you wearing a white coat? What is going on here? Oh, yeah. I picked up a few cases because it was getting backed up in here. Don't worry about it. There's patients drinking out of bowls on the floor. One that's been shaved. I saw one walk out with a lampshade on his head. What kind of doctor are you? Well, I specialise in dog depression, but lots of transferable skills, you know. Get out of my hospital and take that crusty aubergine with your... Eggplant. Security! 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 All right, all right, we're going, we're going. Matt, can you help me with my shirt? It keeps catching on my crust. Oh, look at that. Perfect timing. Just in the nick of time, Mr. Carpark Clock. We might still be able to make that moussaka. Moussaka? In time for the dinner party. I'm not going to tell you my secret. As long as it's hot and fresh, that's all that matters. You're right about that. Let's ride. Ah! Oh, I'll pop another half hour on the meter. Two Stories is written and produced by Matthew Oxley and Jack Barton. Performed this week by Matthew and Jack as themselves, Stephen Barton as Huckabee and Frank, Carlotta Morelli as the Doctor, and Trudy Barton as Ethel. (laughs) 